I'd like to thank Cheryl Gregg once again for reading 1 John chapter 5 like she did last week. I'd also like to thank the Elder Board for giving me four weeks of a sabbatical to rest. That starts tomorrow. And uh, I would ask that, thank you. I would ask that you would pray that I would rest and, you know, keep my phone where it shouldn't be, right here, or maybe where it should be during a rest, right? And, but more than that, to have a spirit of revival and renewal in the work that God has called me to here at Chelton. Um, I've never had such a long time to kind of be off, so probably take me a while to unwind. And uh, I'll surely be remembering all of you, and uh, you're in good hands, of course. There are so many people that serve here, Shep and Jin, on a pastoral team, and everyone else. Uh, I'm just grateful. I have found that my bounce-back time is longer these days, and so maybe that's why the elders are wanting to give me a little rest. Maybe, maybe that's part of my DNA, I guess, right? Uh, which made me think, yeah, what about this thing called DNA? And I looked it up, and uh, the discovery of DNA, I'll let you say what those initials stand for, occurred in the year 1869 by a Swiss biochemist named Friedrich Meischer. And since then, it's been one layer of discovery after another. And uh, I bet if I asked you to put your hands up, how many of you, and I won't, but how many of you might have already sent in for a DNA test so that you can figure out your ancestry and all these things that were previously hidden? Well, if you've done that, you know it'll tell you things like... Uh, what part of you is from a certain part of the world. And if you go online, you can find all sorts of stories, stories of both surprise, I never knew this person was in my past, or I never knew I had a sibling or something like that, and stories of shock, stories that used to be considered bad, and we're not going to talk about that, are now coming to light. And it's all because of the discovery of this man uh, almost 150 years ago, DNA. So when we think about DNA, the fact that God has built into everything this little code that is embedded at that molecular level that determines everything about that plant or person. Isn't it? It's quite amazing, isn't it? I'd, I'd like to say that as we finish the letter of 1 John today, John, at the end of his letter, is going to talk about, could we call it, our spiritual DNA. That is, what is it about Christians that really makes us Christians? And so uh, last week, Pastor Jin took us to the larger portion, and I'm zeroing in now on just the end of the passage, verses 18 through 21. And I'd, I'd like you to see, as we read it again, that there are three times that John says, we know. And what he means is, we know something about ourselves as Christians. 
I'm going to say we need to know our spiritual DNA. Because once you know who you are, it affects your identity and your perception of reality, and it will affect the way you live from then on. So if you're ready, um, let's, let's take a look at this. I might also say, since Shep was kind of giving us a look at next week and what's to come and all, since we're finishing 1 John today, next week we're starting a brand new series for six weeks called Chelton's DNA. Now, that's going to be totally different from the passage in 1 John. Not totally, but different enough. So I'm kind of wetting our appetite a little bit for what's coming for the next six weeks. The first strand of DNA that John mentions is in verse 18. And again, look at the way he says, we know. It reads, we know that anyone born of God, does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Isn't it interesting the way he ends his letter here by reminding his readers and us of things that as Christians, that are firm and secure, and we should know as part of our heritage, our DNA. And the first thing, of course, he says, is that we are born of God. In John chapter 3, he said, repeating Jesus' words, you must be born again. That's who Christians are. When we believe in Jesus, as our sin-bearer and Lord, something happens inside us. It's not simply an intellectual decision. It is, but it's one that has amazing consequences. So, the new birth, think about that when it comes to babies. When the baby is born, it's an event, right? Well, sure, it happens in a moment of time, or an extended time, but, right, the baby is born. But that doesn't mean their life is somehow forgetting that. No, the birth is simply the first step in the new life. It sets in motion everything about a person. What it means is that we have a new direction. That's why John says... People who are born again cannot continue to sin. Maybe that strikes you a little funny. Like, hold it. Can't continue to, can't sin? What do you, that's not very real. Because why? Because I'm a Christian, I think I am, and I sin. Yet that's not what John is saying. He says, continue to sin. It's a present tense in the Greek language. It means to live in complete control where sin is dominating your life. It means that um, it's the habit of your life. And the Bible teaches that when God disconnects our heart from our old life of what John in his letter calls lawlessness, which means no God I'm in control, I'm making my own law. When God disconnects our hearts from that, we get a, 
a heart transplant. That's what Ezekiel said in chapter 36 where he promised, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your old heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's the promise of the new covenant where Jeremiah says God actually writes his laws on our hearts. That's why <laughs> Paul said in Romans chapter 6, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That's what John has been saying. He said it back in chapter 3, verse 9. No one who continues to sin is born of God. Our new direction doesn't mean that we don't sin. I mean, chapter 1, verse 9 said, Christians are those who confess their sins, right? So if you're confessing a sin, you have to commit a sin. But what, what John is saying is our lives are not dominated by sin. So what happens as Christians now, we, we can see the beauty of holiness, where before, that's just rigidity or weird. That's why in, in the song we sang earlier, in the rustling grass, now what would most people say? It needs to be cut. Or that's green and beautiful. <laughs> no, in the rustling grass, I hear God pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Well, the grass may need to be cut, but it's God's grass. He created it. For Christians, everything looks different. Why? It's, it's because God has begun the, the process of transformation. The new birth brings us new life. And so our hearts are moved to love God more to hate sin more, to see justice prevail on the earth. Now, when I say these things, do you agree with me in your heart? That, yeah, if only, or yes, please, more of this. Well, then, that's God's pat on your back saying, you are born again. You are not continuing to live under a sin-dominated life. And do you see the damage that sin brings? I'm not talking about all the bad stuff that everybody agrees with. Yeah, this is damaging to people. But can you see beneath the damage to see that words that come out of people that are harmful are actually coming from their heart that is corrupt? And that, sure, you can change the way people talk. You know, just put some duct tape over people's lips. You won't hear those words. But that doesn't fix the heart. Why is that? And as Christians, we start to see, yes, as beautiful as God is in his perfection and his holiness, and as much as I love that, oh, I detest sin. It damages people. 
It's ugly, it's hurtful, and even more than that, it's an offense to a holy God. That's the new direction that God has implanted in his children. It's almost like, and I've told you before that I'm partially colorblind, and some of you have tried to suggest things like goggles or glasses or whatever. That's fine, I'm not gonna do that. So don't send me the emails. Uh, I've got a wife who helps me dress well. But I've got to tell you this story, too. See, when I have a sabbatical coming, I've got to get it all out now. So last week, one of our church staff sends the pastors and other staff members graphics of what our next Chelton's DNA would look like, you know, the way we post it on our website or put it on the slides. <laughs> and I said, or they asked me, which one do you like? I said, I, I like this one over here, not this one that's black and white. <laughs> and Shep and Jean look at me and say, black and white? You can't see those colors? No, I just thought color is better than black. Well, the colors there are, and they named them. Oh, of course, you're colorblind. And I always say, whatever you guys want is great. I'll agree with it. <laughs> it looks fine to me. But let's suppose I could get some sort of miracle cure for colorblindness. Maybe they'll come out with that someday. Well, then I would look at life differently. From a simple, yeah, I like that and not that, to, wow, I, there's that many blues? Browns are not the same as greens. Ah, oh, amazing. That's what happens when you are born again and you get a new spiritual DNA. You start to see everything in a different light. And the reason John says that we have this new direction is because Jesus, in verse 18, who's called here the uniquely one who was born of God, is actually keeping us safe. He's the one who's protecting us from the devil's threats and dangers. So if, if you may be thinking, well, hold it. You mean I got to have a new direction? I've got to continue not to sin? I get, you're putting too much weight on me here. Well, hold it. The only reason that we are able to live differently is because Jesus is keeping us. He started the process, and he's keeping the process going. This is not another way of legalism that says, all right, now that you're a Christian, here's the rule book, do it, and if you're successful, you'll be good. No, it's just the opposite. It's the God who gives you new life, infuses that new life into you. He keeps you safe. Jesus himself said, as John records it in chapter 10, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. We are protected by Jesus from the beginning of our new birth all the way to eternity. That's why Paul could say that we are confident of this, that he who began a good work in us, 
born again, will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until he returns, Philippians 1.6. What a, what a great promise uh, that brings confidence and rest. That means our own weaknesses, sins and failures, as, as well as the devil's temptations and accusations and assaults, will never, ever unbirth us. You know, like unfriending somebody? You can't be unbirthed if you're born again. You can't be unborn, I was going to say. <laughs> That's the first thing. God is transforming his people, and you need to know that. The second thing is in verse 19. And I read it. We know, there it is the second time, that we are children of God. And the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The second strand of DNA, spiritual DNA, that John wants us to know is that we are adopted. Now, he doesn't use that word. He says, you are children of God. You are born of God. So once you're born, you're in the family, right? You are children. You are from him, part of his eternal family, and removed from our former broken family. Hence, I'm using the word adoption. Our DNA has been recoded. That's how God adopts his children. The evil one has captured the world, and Jesus has rescued us out of it. Is that the way you look at yourself? Now, since there's only two families in the world, the children of God or the children of the devil, our identity must be found in our new family, our adoptive family, not our past family. And this verse says that the world lies under Satan's control and sway. And that's where we were at one time. But the family of God is under God's protection. You think in those two ways? It's so easy for us to get binary, thinking dualistically, you know, it's male-female, it's uh, Republican-Democrat, it's rich-poor, it's American-non-American, it's, you know, pick your favorite duality. Is it this or that? Well, that's never in Scripture. The one duality that God wants to embed on our hearts is know that you're a child of God and you're not a child of the devil anymore. Now, did you hear when Jim talked about a few minutes ago, this is Ascension Sunday. We sang crown him with many crowns. It's actually 40 days after Easter. Technically, it was Thursday, but the next Sunday is today. That means that the Christian church around the world for 2,000 years has celebrated today that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, left earth literally ascended, went back to heaven from where he came, 
with his resurrection body, where he is sitting at the right hand of his Father, ruling and reigning over his church and the world, and from where he will return eventually back to the earth. Ascension Sunday. It's important to celebrate this. And because he ascended, he continues to rescue people from Satan's family. If you're a Christian, just like he did for you. He's doing it now. He did it last Thursday. He will do it next Wednesday. He is continually rescuing people, adopting people out of Satan's family into his own family. That's part of the cosmic war that I talked about a few weeks ago. And one day, the family will be complete when Jesus returns to finally defeat the devil forever. You think about that? Let me just push in a bit and say, are, are you anxious to have other brothers and sisters in this family? Are you, when you see somebody that doesn't know Jesus, does your heart go out to say, like Val was talking about on the video, you need to know Jesus? I mean, you don't say that to them face to face maybe, but in your heart, does that register? Which, which is another way of saying, I become a picture, an appetizer, so that they can taste Jesus, and then living in front of them, maybe I'll be able to say the words to them someday. What a privilege. Every one of us is a Christian because somebody did that with us. You realize that? Nobody's born a Christian. We are born again. I challenge you to think about that. Put that as a marker in your DNA. You are adopted, which means that God loves to populate his family, and we should too. The third mark, the third strand of our spiritual DNA is found in verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his son Jesus Christ he is the true God in eternal life if I could say the third strand is understanding that's his word I'm going to use the word enlightenment the first one transformation. We are being transformed. The second one, adoption. We are part of God's family. And the third thing that John says, you need to know this, is that God has given you knowledge, not just about God, but a knowledge of God. See the difference? It's not just knowing facts that's only the first part. It's those facts that introduce you to the person of God, a relationship. This new understanding or enlightenment gives us the ability to really know God just like you know another person. First thing I've got to say, this just kind of hit me after I read it a few times. I said, well, this is a gift 
It comes from God's sovereign grace. Do you you see the way? Let me read it again. We know that the Son of God has come, like we didn't call him, he came, and he has given us understanding. We didn't ask for it. This is the one-way gift of eternal life. It starts with God. Uh, Theologians give it a fancy name. It is monergistic. Do you like that word? It, It means that it's up to God from start to finish. Now, I don't understand all of that. It doesn't mean that I don't participate in it, but it wasn't our idea to dream it up. That's what religion is. Religion is, I need something, I'm going to figure out how to get to God, and we create a path upward. The Bible gives you just the opposite. God in heaven has the plan and reveals it to the people that he wants to. He has given us understanding. John said it this way in chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. That's always the way. I mean, think about it in your physical birth. Did you ask your parents what day you wanted to be born on? What color hair you wanted? How? (laughs) Of course not. You showed up. Welcome to the world. Well, you had a lot of choice in that. Well, (laughs) you see, same thing with the new birth. John records in chapter 3 Jesus' conversation about this. He said to Nicodemus, Jesus did, the wind blows wherever it wants to. So is anyone born by the Spirit. You don't command the wind. Well, sure, you can make a fan. That's not natural wind. You don't snap your fingers and say, I'm hot. Wind, cool me. No. You find where the wind is, and you get in its path. You can get. Do you see this? That's a mystery. I don't understand it, but I'll tell you what it does do. It gives me great peace in my heart to know the world is not resting on my shoulders, and I am not resting on my shoulders. I am resting in God's hands, His protection. And the other thing John says in verse 20, and again, this is so mysterious, words just kind of dance around it. He says that we are united to the triune God. We are in Him who is true by being in Christ. That's what John in this letter has talked about the whole time. The Spirit is in us. We are in God. There is this mutual indwelling. And that is the goal of our salvation. That's what John says in uh, chapter 3. When Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. For 2,000 years, Christians have always said, the ultimate goal of everything is oneness with God. I'm reminded of one of the verses we sang this morning. Uh, I think it was, this is my father's world, and earth and heaven be one. 
Well, we've already started down that path. That's what being a Christian is now. We have to know that. The most important thing in, in life is not getting your stuff done or getting that job or raising those kids or feeling a certain way. The most important thing in life is knowing God. And as you get to know God, you become more like God. That's what eternal life is is Jesus being with him and one with him is the eternal God and eternal life. Now, those are the three strands of our spiritual DNA. We are transformed, we are adopted, and we are enlightened. And that's how John ends his letter, almost. You know, I could end the sermon here, except John gives one more verse at the very end, and he doesn't say, I'll see you later sometime, amen, or something like that. You know how we're used to the ends of letters, in the Bible at least, uh, with a benediction maybe? What it says in verse 21 sounds kind of, I won't say strange, but it sounds misplaced, doesn't it? Dear children, keep yourself from idols, Period. End of letter. Oh. Why this, John? And part of me says, well, you know, the last thing a person says is usually what they really want you to remember. It's so important. So the more I thought about this, I thought, oh, this is for us. This is. It's not just like some random thing. Oh, I forgot to say it earlier. Let me stick it in before I finish the letter. The mailman's coming. You know, I got to... No. He's, he, he's saying, what has he already said? Jesus keeps you. You are being transformed. You are adopted into God's family. Know this. You are enlightened with new understanding to know God. It sounds all God does this. Yeah. And what's my part? And that's what John says. You have to guard your heart from anything that will take the place of God. That's what idolatry is, isn't it? Tim Keller, in his great book called Counterfeit Gods, defines it this way. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. The, uh, the idol that's in your heart is different than the idol in your heart and in my heart. I think idols are kind of like shoes. You know, everybody's got them, but they're all different. But they all do the same thing. They take the place that a great God wants to have in his people that he loves, in their hearts. So John ends this way because the only way to flourish by knowing our spiritual DNA is to keep God first. He transforms us. He adopts us. He enlightens us. And then I find something else that enlightens me. 
that I love more than God. Or then I find someone else who thinks, or I think, they can transform my life and give me a better life than God does. Or I find another family, another group of people that I find more exhilarating and thrilling than the family of God. And John says, watch out. Watch out, because our hearts are not totally purified yet. You've got to kind of have that scanner on that says, idol, smash it, potential idol, be careful. And if you're thinking, well, hold it, you mean idolatry could lead me away from God? No, not as a Christian, it won't. Remember, John uses the same word in English here. You keep yourself away from idols. All the while, God is keeping you for himself. That's another thing John has said in this book. It's two. It's God is working, and you are working too. So don't just sit back and relax and think, oh, it's all up to God. Well, it is and it isn't, because he calls you in this wonderful transformation to have a part in it, of participation. Pipe, uh, Keller says, the only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is to turn back to the true one. The living God is the only Lord who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you. If you fail him, can truly forgive you. So, church, keep away from the idols. And remember, all the while, that God is keeping you close. He holds us fast. So, Lord, we thank you for this letter. Boy, it's, it's been amazing to walk through it, to see that your truth is timeless and penetrating. Help us to know ourselves, to know our DNA, to know that we are transformed and adopted and enlightened and Lord, that, those are such wonderful gifts. May we never put anyone or anything in place of you. How sweet you are. In Jesus' name, we beg these things and ask these things. Amen.